Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Phil Lawler. Phil is the editor of the Catholic World News. He's an author of 10 books on political and religious topics, including The Smoke of Satan, The Faithful Departed. His works have appeared in over 100 newspapers around the U.S. and abroad. And uh, Phil, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I just read your recent article uh, called Apologizing for Hard Truths. And I know it's the, uh, the situation in Ireland where a father, Sean Cheehy, was basically just preaching on sin. And I've listened to the I've listened to his homily and it wasn't anything that, you know, was kind of in your face. It was like, hey, you guys need to know this because your salvation is at stake. And uh, the bishop didn't quite agree with him, did he? No, he didn't. On quite the contrary, the bishop put out a statement of apology uh, and said that this isn't the way the Catholic Church thinks on these issues. And uh, I'm I'm mystified because if it isn't, then what does the Catholic Church think on these issues? And we're talking about abortion and about homosexual acts. And Father Xi, he said they're gravely sinful, and that's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. But the bishop says this seems to be suggesting something else. Well, and I know, he, and I've listened to actually Father Shake, Father Sheehy uh, was on uh, doing some interviews after this. And, you know, you know, a handful of people walked out because they didn't like the message. Uh, his tone wasn't an in-your-face. It was really a, a tone of, look, this is really important, and you guys need to, to know this. And you're right, right? The bishop not only uh, came out and said that this isn't what the church teaches, but my understanding is, has, has told Father he's not allowed to say public masses, that's my understanding, too. And it, it, just to clarify, he is a, a senior priest, mm-hmm. so he, do, he doesn't have a regular parish assignment, as I understand it, and has been filling in in various places when, when the pastor is away for whatever reason. And I, I gather he has now been taken out of the rotation, so it, it's not that he's suspended, but uh, he has, his ministry has been curtailed. Yeah, and you know, I did look him up online because I, my understanding also is that he was a priest in Louisiana for quite some time, left in around 2007, 2008 to go back to Ireland. And and part of what he said on an interview I listened to was, look, I was in the United States. I've seen all these things go on. This is terrible stuff, and you guys need to know it. And, you know, it didn't speak highly of the United States, but he was speaking the truth in terms of what he sees and the, you know, the moral depravity that really resides in our world today. So it wasn't something he was just making up, right? He said, I've seen this, and this is something you need to know. Right. And one of the things that I find most troublesome here is that, yes, when, he, when a priest delivers a sermon like this, some people are going to be upset. Some people are going to be offended. Some people are going to leave. And so does that mean you should never tell hard truths because you, you might offend somebody? Because if that's what it means, then you, you have to confine yourself to, you know, sermons in favor of homilies in favor of apple pie. That's not what the church is about. And when the bishop apologizes, 
he is reinforcing all of the priests who don't have the gumption to preach the hard truth. It's very disappointing and disheartening. Well, and you imagine, you know, we as parents not wanting to tell our kids what they're doing wrong because we're afraid they'll be offended. Right? That doesn't even cross our minds, or and unfortunately, it may, it may today, but when we were growing up, can you imagine our fathers being worried about us being offended when we did something wrong if they tried to correct us? I don't think my father had that problem. No, mine didn't either. And you know what? I didn't like it at the time, but I'm, I, I'm very much appreciative that he was willing to call a spade a spade when I did stupid stuff and I did way too much stupid stuff. Uh, because who knows where I would end up if I had a father that just wanted to appease me as opposed to teach me. Of course. And I think we're probably all in the same boat as far as that's concerned. And, you know, there are lots of times um, that I disappoint that I was unhappy with my father. And there are lots of times I disappointed him. And I look back now and I'm grateful for the discipline uh, because it brought me around. And who knows how many of those people who walked out of church when they heard this homily, uh, how many of them felt the prick of conscience and might at some point now or later go back and and maybe confess something that they have done, uh, which was burdening them. Uh, I know so many different cases of people who uh, who give a priest or somebody else credit for just planting the seed in their conscience. And and it might be weeks or months or years that that, it, that seed sprouts and they realize that they have to change their lives. Well, and I've, I've, I've been accused of being a little blunt during homilies. At one point, Father said, well, you know, I keep getting these complaints. And I'm like, well, tell me what I said that was wrong. And he didn't say, well, I, I don't know that anything you said was wrong. It's just that I'm getting complaints. So one homily, I went up there and I just said, look, I feel my soul is at stake if I don't speak the truth up here, because if I'm just trying to pander, then my judgment with among many other things I'll have to answer for is really going to be not good. And I think every priest and every bishop and every cardinal should go up there thinking their soul's at stake if they don't preach the truth. Yes. Two, uh, let me just make two points. I couldn't agree with you more. I recall the story. I don't know if it's true. It's it's certainly part of uh, historical lore that when Pope Pius X was elected, he wept. And he explained that he was weeping because now he was responsible for every soul in the world. And <laughs> It makes me feel good. Of course, he's a saint now. <laughs> right. It makes me feel good to think that a pope feels that burden, that you know, that he he cares about every soul in the world, that he's acutely aware of his responsibility in that respect. But the other thing I want to say is, it's possible to say that Father Sheehy or you or any other person delivering a homily uh, didn't deliver it the right way. That's 
yeah. that's fine. You can say, well, maybe your tone wasn't right. Maybe your arguments weren't weren't the best arguments. You know, maybe you didn't deliver them in a winsome tone. Fine, but that's not what Bishop Brown did in this case. He said that the, what Father Sheehy was saying did not express the Catholic position, which leaves us to try to decide. Well, then, what is the Catholic position? Well, the Catholic position seems to be, you know, just based on what you read in the news, that let us punish those people who tend to preach the truth in a in a direct manner, while you never see any punishment on, you know, the Father James Martin types who who water things down and try to make everything inclusive so that really nothing becomes a sin because everybody's conscience is supposed to be their guide. But they don't seem to get punishments. If they do, they do it much quietly. But how many priests do we see get canceled from the hierarchy uh, when you don't see it go the other way? Well, that, yes, absolutely. And the point I made uh, at the end of this column that prompted you to call me, what about the priests who never say anything? Yeah. You know, I, I'd like, as that was the concluding line in, in this column, I said, please, Lord, show me the bishop who will apologize for what his priests don't say, for their silence, the culpable silence, when there are all sorts of problems afflicting, afflicting their congregations, moral problems, and they never say anything directly to wake up the consciences of their people. Well, and I listened to a talk, geez, I don't know, Father Ripperger had given it, I don't know, maybe six months ago, I, I had listened to it, and, and one of his talks was, look, all the weaknesses in our world, this this woke culture, this, you know, appeasing people, no, trying not to make anybody mad, and all the things that have happened in the world start with the weakness within the church, because the church is supposed to be the light to bring people to leave sin and vice and live a life of virtue, right? And But we live in a church that wants to, this art of accompaniment, not correct people, but walk with them without ever telling them what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, and uh, how many times have you run into somebody, well, I'll just tell you, I have run into quite a few in the pro-life movement, uh, uh, Protestants, who tell me, you know, we're, we've been relying on the Catholic Church for decades now, mm -hmm. because the Catholic Church is the only powerful institution, influential institution out there that doesn't shrink from the truth. And I wish I could say, amen, that's true. <laughs> But too often we have, and then there's there's a companion problem there because, look, everybody knows, contrary to what Bishop Brown says, everybody knows what the Catholic position on abortion is. Everybody knows what the Catholic position on contraception and divorce and homosexual, homosexual acts is. So when Catholic priests or bishops or any kind of spokesman for the church seems to shy away from saying what everybody knows the church believes. It makes it look as if we're ashamed of our beliefs or we're hypocritical about our beliefs. It makes it the witness of the church, uh, well, just wimpy. No, no one is attracted to an institution whose representatives won't be forthright in defending what, the, what, what we know the institution believes and preaches. 
Well, and, you know, to talk about that, you know, it's obviously, you know, Jesus never shied away from telling people to go and sin no more. It wasn't, you know, we have this synod of synodality going on where it almost, they make it sound like Jesus walked around and wanted to get everybody's opinion first before he decided to teach it. And that's exactly the opposite of what took place. Right. He wasn't very gentle with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees wanted—it's not that just that they walked out on him, they wanted to kill him. So if you want to imitate Christ, then you have to be willing to do that as well. And, you know, we've seen, you know, there are some within the church, you know, Bishop Schneider, Strickland, you know, Cardinal Burke, and, and different ones, even Father, Father Gerald Murray out of New York, you know, who are speaking up against truth, but— Jeez, the, the choir is so small. It's like a quartet as opposed to the morning tabernacle choir. Where is everybody? Uh, well, that's, that's what I've been trying to get across for years now, is that part of our problem is we have priests and even bishops, some cardinals, who are saying things that are at, at least, con- at best, confusing. But that's only part of the problem. To me, the more frustrating part of the problem is that we have so many priests and so many bishops and cardinals who seem to believe and profess and act out the Catholic faith that we love, but are quiet about it and are not challenging those who are leading people astray. To me, that's most more frustrating, the, the so-called good bishops who, who are quiet. Well, that's the country with the old saying, right? The silence is deafening, and and that's exactly what's taking place. And you wonder why. You wonder how they can they can reconcile this with their own conscience, or is the fear too great in terms of what what might fall upon them in terms of criticism? But again, not an excuse. But why why not speak the truth? We're constantly told in the gospel, look. Bad things are going to happen to you if you follow me, right? You're sheep among wolves. You're going to be turned in by, you know, relatives. You're, you might even be killed. So none of this should be a surprise to any of us. Yet, when we think somebody might not like us, man, we clam up faster than, uh, you know, you could, you could think. Yeah, and when you say that maybe bishops are very worried about the consequences of speaking out, I have to ask, what are the consequences? Because (laughs) in other walks of life, you could lose your job. If you're a bishop, you're not going to lose your job. Uh, You know, you you might be ostracized. uh, If you you live out in the corporate world— you might not have any possibility of promotion if you take an unpleasant stand. You might get, you might not get that job you wanted. If you're a bishop, you don't have to worry about that, those things. You have your job. You have tenure uh, as as long as you behave. And all you really have to worry about is public opinion. Now, if public p- opinion swings against you, well, congratulations. That's what the gospel told you would happen. Exactly. Uh, and unless you're, you have the sensitivities of a teenager, you should not let that govern all of your decisions. I mean, nobody likes to be unpopular. 
But if that's hanging over your head is the worst thing that could happen to you, you really need to straighten up. Well, and again, right, I, I, you know, the example of being a parent, right, we see all this craziness going on in our schools, gender ideology, you know, furries, all this crazy stuff happening. And we're starting to see parents finally stand up and say, you know, I'm not putting up with this. And right. it's no different if you're a bishop, right? You, we are their children. And why aren't you standing up for us? And, you know, we just had an election. And, you know, some some are very strong when it comes to, you know, about abortion and rightfully so. But what about all these other topics on same-sex marriage, on gender ideology, all these things? Right. Why don't they come out and say, look, you cannot vote for people who support these things. They are moral evils. But we're afraid, you know, use your conscience and do what you think is right. And you're like, good grief, take some calcium pills and get a backbone. Yeah. And even if I can push one step further, you say there are a lot of bishops who will give strong statements in defense of life or in opposition to abortion. That's certainly true. But I don't want those statements just given to the right to life groups. Mm -hmm. Give them when you're talking to some ecumenical meeting or or give them when you're invited to speak in some public forum. We don't have a captive, friendly audience. And be consistent. Tell people things that they don't necessarily want to hear. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Right? I mean, you don't, you don't tailor a talk to an audience. You don't tailor truth to an audience. Truth is shared no matter who you're speaking to. And when you do, it really does show a weakness. And, and look, I get it. You know, there it's it's not fun to be told you're not liked or people, you know, shoot back at you verbally. But, hey, that's that's the price you pay. And we know as parents and grandparents, uh, we have a responsibility. We've been given a gift. And these bishops and cardinals and priests and deacons, they all have the same responsibility. They they don't get off easy because they don't feel comfortable doing it. Right. And again, I'm not saying that they have to read the riot act every time. There, There's sensibilities and you have to pick your spots and weigh your words and uh, try to move people maybe a little bit at a time. Uh, you don't necessarily toss the bomb on every occasion, you know, uh, but sooner or later you do have to toss some bombs or else you're likely to surrender. Because let's face it, uh, to continue the military analogy, we're kind of outgunned these days. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing occasionally to take the offensive, uh, you're probably going to surrender. And this is what happened in this case in Ireland. We have a bishop who's, who's not just sort of ducking for cover. He is renouncing what this priest said. And again, I'm at a loss. What did the priest say that was wrong? Yeah, and I would encourage people to listen. And go on, go on YouTube, type in Father Sean Chi, S H E E H Y, and listen to his homily. Right, the, that is a homily. Every no one should listen to that homily online and think I've never heard that in, in any of my churches. Right, we should have heard that and we should hear it on a regular basis because it is a reminder that our salvation is at stake. And for us not to focus on that, and the church does a good job, right? At the end of every 
church year of ordinary time, right? Salvation, Jesus' second coming really gets highlighted because it is a reminder to us, hey, let's look at ourselves objectively. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I following and modeling my life after Christ? Not, you know, falling into this modernist movement and trying to make everybody my friend. Yes, and you're trying to push everybody a little bit, or at least a little bit further down that path towards union with Christ, right? You're, there are some people who, who are, have really strayed a great deal from that path, and there are others who are doing okay. And ideally, as a pastor, you're trying to push them all a little bit further, which means you're rebuking some of them who are leading immoral lives. But then the ones who are doing okay, you're challenging them too and saying, look, you can do better. You can be heroic in your virtue. So there too, you're trying to challenge people. And so when you challenge people, you, you might find some people who think of themselves as very good Catholics, uh, and you're going to make them uncomfortable too. And that's a good thing. Well, I think no one should ever leave a mass without feeling a little uncomfortable, even if it's, you know, how much Jesus loves us. It could be, geez, am I worth, you know, am I living up to that love he has for me or how can I love more? We should always feel a little uncomfortable leaving there, trying to live up to what he's asking of us, because none of us have reached that pinnacle or will in this world. Right. I just saw something that uh, Peter Kreeft had said about how if you don't think that you need purgatory, you you probably either grossly underestimate your own sinfulness or you grossly underestimate God's holiness. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a good quote. I haven't seen that, but he's right on target. And look, you you've been following this for years, right? You know what's been going on with the sex abuse up in Boston. You know, you've, you know, even, even the book, you know, the smoke of Satan, just what's kind of permeating within our church. It just keeps rearing its head that we just keep seeing our greatest problems with the faith come from within the church, not from outside. That's right. The point that I try to hammer home and have been, as you say, I've been trying for decades. The church exists in a culture. And naturally, the culture is going to affect the church, and the church is going to affect the culture. The big question in my mind is, which way is, is the tide flowing most of the time? Is it that the culture is shaping the church, or the church is shaping the culture? Because the church should shape the culture. It should not be shaped by the culture. And I'm afraid that more and more the church is being shaped by the culture. The influence is flowing, you know, from from the major purveyors of culture who are not on our side into the church rather than the other way around. Well, and I would say anybody who doesn't agree with what you just said should read the Synod on Synodality Reports here in the United States and as a whole, because when you read those, it's it's all these, you know, people who are living immoral lives or want to change dogma of the church that are trying to reshape the church as opposed to conforming their lives to the teachings. They want the church to conform to their lives. And I think this this whole sham of a process taking place, it speaks to your point exactly. 
Yeah, it does. It's uh, the synod on synodality seems to be an effort to find out what everybody would like the church to be. And I'm sorry, this almost sounds blasphemous, but it reminds me of what I understand with the process by which Ford Motor Company decided to build the Edsel. They asked people, what do you really want in a car? And then they built a car that was supposed to respond to those wants. Well, guess what? It didn't. It wasn't what people wanted. And we we really don't need to make the church the evangelical outreach of the church into, into another sort of, uh, you know, a pastoral Edsel. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to that, you know, again, the, the analogy of being a parent, we don't sit there at the dinner table and get everybody's opinion so that we can decide which way this family's going to move or who's going to live by what rules that, and what, what would they like to see? And oh, by the way, if you break the rules, can you all give me an idea of what you think the punishment should be so that I can give you what you want? <laughs> it's an interesting thing because of course, if you sit around the family dinner table, you find out what everybody thinks. <laughs> Without soliciting it, yes, you <laughs> That's right. And you take it into consideration if you're a good parent. <laughs> but, it, but it doesn't rule the family because that's not the way a family operates, and it's not the way the church operates. It, you're, you're exactly right. And so we're down to about the last minute, uh, Phil. How can people follow what you're doing? Because you do have your finger kind of on the pulse of what's going on, and, and your articles really do uh, point out, you know, situations that people need to be aware of so that they continue to live their faith but know what's going on, even if it's, you know, trying to lead others astray. Yeah, thank you for that, and thank you for the opportunity to encourage people to check in online. Uh, the site is catholicculture.org, Catholic culture, just one word, treated as one word, .org. And we provide news and commentary that is faithful to the Catholic Church, but uh, we're independent and we try to call it as we see it. and. We're not beholden to anybody, and we're not subject to any discipline, so we have a certain liberty to give our views and give the news uh, without pulling any punches. Well, it is a great resource, and I would encourage people to, uh, you know, you can go on Amazon and look up Phil Lawler and, and the books because they are excellent, and they do really, you know, tell the truth, and that's what people need to hear now. If you like the content of these shows that we produce on a weekly basis, please prayerfully consider supporting us. Go to ccdenver.org, click on the donate button, and then click on Respect Life Denver to support this programming. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. <laughs>